And now turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16, and we will continue to stand as we hear God's word read. This is the third time we're looking at Leviticus 16, which is the Day of Atonement. And it will be the last time we look at Leviticus 16, as well as uh, the book of Leviticus, as we're going to take a break from our series in Leviticus and uh, begin a new series in the book of Revelation. The hope is, Lord willing, to come back to Leviticus uh, at some point. So let us look at this 16th chapter and beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, hear the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body, and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one for a ram, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. And he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his fingers on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is, for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. 
And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place and put on his garments and come out and offer his burnt offering and the burnt offering of the people and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And the blood for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And it shall be a statute for you forever in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict yourselves and you shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting. And for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. Beloved, Jesus Christ is the only true mediator between God and man. But the Aaronic high priest was a mediator between God and Israel as a type and shadow of Christ. Now, one who is a mediator between God and man represents man before God. And we saw this throughout Leviticus. We saw it especially last week as we spoke of Aaron drawing near to Israel, or rather drawing Israel near to God at the mercy seat in the most holy place of the tabernacle. He bore 12 stones on his breastplate, which were symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so when he approached the Lord... He did so as a representative of Israel. Jesus, of course, who is our great high priest, is now present at the mercy seat in heaven as a representative for all his people. And that is the picture that much of the book of Hebrews has given to us. 
It's also a picture that we are given in the book of Revelation. For example, look with me, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 and following. And in this passage, John has a vision and hears a loud voice like a trumpet. And then beginning in verse 12, we read, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. Now, stop there for just a moment. What what are these? These are the high priestly garments. Verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars from his mouth. Uh, Seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Okay, so John here is having a vision Of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised. He said, I was dead, but now I am alive forevermore. And he's dressed in his high priestly garments, and he is directly in the midst of the seven lampstands, which, as chapter 1 goes on to say, are the churches of the true and living God. They are the seven churches. That represent the church universal. And as the high priest, Christ represents the church before God. Because, as we have mentioned, a mediator between God and man represents man before God. Now, Christ representing man before God was the primary focus of our sermon last Lord's Day. Christ, our mediator, intercedes for us before God in heaven. Just as Aaron interceded on behalf of Israel in the tabernacle. However, a mediator between God and man not only represents man before God, but he also represents God to the people. Of course, Jesus is the only one who could truly fulfill both of these roles because he alone was both God and man. And so he could represent man before God because he was and is a man. And he could represent God to man because he is God. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. This morning, our ultimate focus will be on Christ representing God to man. Though we will speak once again just briefly on how Christ represents us before God as well. 
Now, last week I mentioned that we would be looking today at what has been termed the scapegoat. And this goat, which was led out into the wilderness, has a dual symbolism or a multifaceted symbolism, at least uh, two aspects to this symbolism. And this uh, is really quite common with types and shadows of the Old Testament where uh, the symbolism can be multifaceted. Uh, Think, for example, of the incense that Aaron put in his censer and entered the most holy place with. The smoke from that incense symbolized the glory cloud, which pointed forward to Jesus Christ, who both ascended into heaven on a cloud and who will also descend from heaven on a cloud. And so on the one hand, it symbolized the glory cloud, but on the other hand, Revelation, both chapters 5 and 8 of Revelation, tell us that the incense symbolizes the prayers of the saints rising up to God. And so you see there, it has a twofold symbolism. Well, it's true also, uh, this type of uh, symbolism is true also of the scapegoat. It has at least a twofold symbolism. Its symbolism from one perspective will point us once again to Christ as representative of man before God. But from another perspective, it points us to Christ as representative of God to man. And we'll begin with its most basic symbolism, which was the removal of Israel's sins. Now in verse 8 of our text, we read, Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Now last week, we discussed the goat that was given to the Lord. Specifically, it was offered as a sacrifice to atone for the people of Israel, as well as for the parts of the tabernacle. That is, uh, basically what it accomplished was the atonement of both the people of Israel as well as atonement for the holy place or the holy places. However, there was another goat, which our text says was for Azazel. Now, the discussion concerning who or what Azazel was has given scholars much trouble. Some have claimed that the word comes from the Arabic root azala, which means to remove. And in this case, it would simply be suggesting that one goat was to be for the Lord and the other was to be for removal. And sure enough, the goat did symbolize the removal of Israel's sins. Aaron was to press his hand upon the head of the goat, confessing Israel's sins and transgressions, which symbolized the transfer of their sins to the goat and then the goat would be led out of the camp of Israel into the wilderness, symbolizing the removal of their sins from the camp. That is, of course, one of the symbolisms of this goat. The New Testament 
of course, proclaims that Christ has removed our sins from us. The scapegoat was thought to be cut off from the camp of Israel and to have died out in the wilderness, bearing the sins of the people. In like manner, Hebrews 13 informs us that Christ suffered outside the camp or outside the gates of Jerusalem. And in doing so, Jesus was our representative. He represented us in our sins in order to die in our place. He represented us in order to bear the curse of our sin on himself so that we might instead receive the blessing of God. Now, the reception of God's blessing, I just mentioned that he took the curse on himself so that we might receive the blessing. And the reception of God's blessing begins to bring forward the concept of Christ representing God to man. As God's chosen mediator, Christ represents God and he does so to all of mankind. To every single person that has ever lived or ever will live. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is that as God's chosen mediator, he will bring God's blessing to some, but he will bring God's curse to others. Think about what we have discussed so many times throughout Leviticus concerning the high priest coming out of the tabernacle to give Israel the priestly benediction of God. What is that? What is a benediction? Well, a benediction simply means bene, meaning good, and diction, meaning word. And so it's a good word, a word of blessing. It was not the priest's word of blessing. It was God's word of blessing, which came through the priest and to the people. The high priest represented God to the people. And so Christ also will return from the heavenly tabernacle and will return to us, to his people, to give the final consummate blessing of God to those who have placed their faith in him for the salvation of their sins, from their sins. Now, Christ will also return from the heavenly tabernacle to pronounce a malediction upon those who have rejected him. What is a malediction? Well, mal means bad. And so not a good word of blessing, but a bad word pronouncing the curse on those who remain in their sin. And this is brought out in our text from the second of the twofold symbolism of the scapegoat. Now certainly it symbolized the removal of our sin, which took place about 2,000 years ago. But it also symbolized the removal of all sin 
and wickedness. And more specifically, the removal of the wicked who are not united to Christ. Thus, it symbolized a final and ultimate judgment. A separation of the wicked from the righteous on the last day. The Day of Atonement took place on just one day of the year for Israel. But that day symbolized a whole age. Think about what happened on the Day of Atonement. There were sacrifices made. And the high priest entering the most holy place with the blood, the blood of those sacrifices to intercede for the people of God. And then he would come out of the most holy place, passing through the curtain and then out of the holy place, returning to the people. And relate that now to the work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. He laid down his own life as an offering for sin. And then, beloved, he ascended up into heaven, into the heavenly most holy place, where he now intercedes on our behalf. But just as sure as he passed through the curtain into the heavenly most holy place, so he will return to us. From there. And so, what was symbolized in one day for Israel has now been taking place for over 2,000 years. And when he returns, when Christ returns, he will not only give the final pronouncement of blessing on those who are united to him by faith, but he will also pronounce the curse upon those who have rejected him. Thus, separating those who are righteous by faith from those wicked unbelievers. Now, how is that seen in our passage? Well, on more than one occasion, we have pointed out the contrast between life and death in Leviticus. How the nearer one was to God the closer one was to life and blessing. But the further one was from the tabernacle, the closer one was to death and cursing. Well, the Lord dwelled in the most holy place of the tabernacle, and so the nearer to the tabernacle one was, the nearer they were to life and blessing. But the wilderness... The wilderness was the furthest away from the tabernacle and thus was associated with the realm of death. And picking up on this, Michael Morales, in his book, Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord, writes, Now it is of peculiar interest that the two goats of the Day of Atonement proceed in opposite directions. One journeying into the Garden of Eden via its lifeblood. He's comparing here the tabernacle to the Garden of Eden. So the one journeying into the Garden of Eden via its lifeblood and the other away from Yahweh to the wilderness loaded with Israel's sins. 
End quote. So the goat that is sacrificed goes all the way into the most holy place as its blood is sprinkled upon the mercy seat. And here's what's important. What happened to the goat vicariously happened to God's people. When the goat died, the people vicariously died through it. As the blood of the goat was carried all the way into the most holy place by the high priest, so the people of God were vicariously carried all the way into the presence of God in the most holy place. And this, beloved, was the type. It was the copy, the shadow. But we have that reality now through Jesus Christ. That is what Christ has accomplished for us in reality. You see, beloved, we have vicariously died in Christ's death on the cross. And we have vicariously been taken to heaven through the high priestly ministry of Christ. Think about what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that we were raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realm. That is a true reality of us now. Now at this moment, it is true of us spiritually, mystically. But someday, when Christ returns, it will also be true of us physically as well. When Christ provides the second pronouncement of blessing upon us, granting to us our glorified bodies. But, beloved, what you need to see from our text this morning is that on the very same day, Christ will also pronounce the final curse upon the wicked, which is symbolized by the other goat being led out into the wilderness. One goat went towards God in the most holy place, the other goat out into the wilderness. Again, Morales writes, It is not difficult to see how this separation of the two goats could be readily perceived as portraying a final separation, a day of judgment in the ultimate sense, end quote. And so if you think about it, this must be part of the symbolism. Because the second goat is not led out into the wilderness until the high priest has returned from inside the tabernacle. Therefore, that final separation that it's pointing to, the separation of the righteous from the wicked, will take place at the return of Christ, our high priest from the heavenly tabernacle. The Apostle John has a vision of this that he records in Revelation chapter 19. You can turn there if you have your Bibles with you. Revelation chapter 19 and beginning in verse 11. In this uh, passage, John describes a vision that he had. And here's what he writes, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened. 
And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Okay, stop there. What is John seeing? He saw heaven opened and Christ on a white horse passing through it. In Leviticus, that's the curtain being opened by the high priest as he returns to the people. The curtain is open. John sees heaven open and Christ returning to the people. Now in Leviticus, the priest is not sitting on a white horse. Why is Jesus on a white horse in John's vision? Well, the rest of verse 11 says, In righteousness he judges and makes war. Ah, you see, he's mounted for battle. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. You see, this is the same figure we encountered earlier that when we read from Revelation chapter 1. He is clothed in his priestly garments, which have his sacrificial blood upon them. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. These are the saints of God who also have been clothed in priestly garments, having been made pure, of course, by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, from his mouth came a sharp sword. Do you remember the double-edged sword from Revelation chapter 1? Well, here the sword comes from his mouth with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them, it says, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Skip down to verse 19. It says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh." You see, this is depicting, with even more imagery, what the second goat was depicting. You see, it was led out, even cast out, into the wilderness, the realm of the dead. And this is what will happen to Satan and to all the wicked at Christ's return. Interestingly, in Jewish literature, Azazel was the name of a demon out in the desert or out in the wilderness. Maybe even a name that was used for the devil himself. In Revelation chapter 19, you see Christ by the sword of his mouth. And what is that? It is his word of judgment, the malediction by which he destroys the satanic beast and all the wicked that he casts out into the realm of the dead, the lake of fire. There's one more text I want to look at before we begin to apply this. 
Matthew chapter 25, depicts the same day in a manner very similar to Leviticus 16. Beginning in verse 13 of Matthew 25, we read, it might be 31 actually, um, we read, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Verse 32, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, and now here's the word of blessing. Here's the benediction. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Look down at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, and here is the word of the curse, the malediction. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There it is. There is the goat being removed in the wilderness in shadow form. Matthew 25 is telling us of the reality. And beloved, the application to all this really is very simple. We are all sinners, which means we are all Wicked. Every person from Adam and Eve to the present. Only Christ was righteous and he was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed to make atonement for our sins. Your sins, beloved, are atoned for only if you have turned from them and looked to Christ to save you. The only way to be prepared for the return of Christ is to have placed your trust in Him as the only Savior who can save you from your sins. Having said that, that is not to suggest that your trust, your faith in Christ will not be accompanied by good works. Christ saves you only through the instrumentation of faith. Only if you have true faith will on that day you be placed to his right. And receive the word of blessing. But a true and living faith will always be working in love, beloved. Christ, in that Matthew 25 passage, says to those whom he blesses that he was hungry, he was thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison, and his sheep gave him food and drink, welcomed him, clothed him, visited and came to him. And they asked, when did we do all these things? And he said to them, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The wicked goats, on the other hand, will be condemned for not doing such things. They did them not 
because their hearts had not been changed to one of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, those who have trusted in Christ will have new hearts and will serve Christ, our King and High Priest, and will do so by serving His people, His church, those whom He calls His brothers. And so, beloved, let us serve Him who first served us. By laying down his life as an atonement. And let us do so by placing our faith in him and manifesting that faith by serving one another. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mediation of your son Jesus Christ. Who is the God-man. Fully God and fully man. And so represents us before you and represents you to us. And Lord, we pray for the day of his return to come quickly. Even so, we pray, Lord, come quickly. So that we might receive that final pronouncement of blessing. That you have to give us through your son Jesus Christ. Based upon the work that he accomplished. And which is always applied to us by your spirit. And Lord may we continue to proclaim the wonderful grace. The atonement that was made by Christ to others. So that they too might believe and be spared from that final pronouncement of curse. So that you might draw your people to yourself, as we proclaim in word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.